Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? It's on page 1550 in the Bibles provided for you. Uh, We're going to read Romans 8, a section from Romans 8, a little bit later on. Uh, But we're going to start with this story from Acts chapter 2. This is the story of Pentecost. Listen to God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, all the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites... Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. So in uh, in the Christian religion, there are three great feast days. There are three great holidays. Christmas and Easter. Oh yeah, and then Pentecost. That's right, Pentecost. Two of those, we do really, really well. We celebrate really well. Uh, But Pentecost, not so much. We don't really do Pentecost. Uh, Christmas, we're crushing it, right? We have have so much to celebrate. We have so much going on. We have four weeks of anticipation leading through Advent. We decorate and we plan and we've got the trees and we've got the presents and the pageants and the gifts and everything. Uh, With Easter... We do Easter really well, too. We have these 40 days of Lent that lead right up to Easter, and then we have Holy Week, so we have Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and then finally the grand finale, Easter Sunday, and we have resurrection, and we have ham, and we have lilies, and we've got little girls with dresses and little boys with bow ties, and it's all so wonderful. And then we have, in a distant third, Pentecost. I will not ask for a raise of hands, but I do wonder how many of us actually knew that it was Pentecost when you drove here this morning. I see some people wearing red, and I'm guessing that's not an accident for for all of you. Um, But we just don't do a great job wearing, uh, wearing, celebrating Pentecost. Why is this? Why is it that we do so well with these other two holidays, but we don't do this one well? Well, handful of reasons. First of all, 
I think, when you compare the stories of these three feast days in the Christian religion, it's not really a fair fight because uh, with Christmas, you've got a miraculous pregnancy, right? A scandalous pregnancy. It's a really captivating story, and in the end, there's a baby, and everybody, you can't compete with a baby, right? Not to mention the star and the animals. Easter, Easter has a murder, right? It has a, it has a trial, it has betrayal, it has all of this drama. Pentecost has wind, right? And then uh, people who maybe drank too much in the morning, which remains unclear, or I guess the fire part is pretty cool. The tongues of fire, the kids seem to be into that. Uh, but then we have this Holy Spirit thing, this Holy Spirit person. And we can all be honest enough to say that we never really know exactly what to make of the Holy Spirit. We never really know exactly where to put him and how to categorize him and how to think about him. What is this Holy Spirit thing? Uh, but all of that aside, all of those things, I think there's another reason that we do not celebrate P Pentecost very well. I've mentioned this before. Pentecost marks the beginning of something rather than the end of something. Pentecost marks the beginning of something rather than the culmination of something. Christmas and Easter are the culmination of something. So uh, uh, we have the four weeks of Advent. We have the four weeks of waiting. We have the four weeks of longing. And it crescendos and it crescendos and then boom, December 25 when we celebrate Christmas. Same with Easter. We've got 40 days of penance, 40 days of fasting, 40 days of introspection, and then at the end, crescendo, and boom, the resurrected Christ, and we celebrate Easter. So each of those days have this long buildup and a crescendo to this big, great big grand thing, but with Pentecost, Pentecost isn't the end of something, it's the beginning of something, and that makes it more difficult, I think, to celebrate. But we should still try. Uh, T.S. Eliot, the great English poet, he has a line where he says, In my beginning is my end. In my beginning is my end. And what he means by that, so I'm told, is that the way that we start something will determine how we finish it. The way that we start something will determine how we finish it. The direction that we walk at the beginning of a journey will determine where we end up on that journey. In my beginning is my end. Well, in many ways, Pentecost is the beginning of the journey which we are now on as the church. So when we look at the beginning of this story, when we look at the beginning of this journey, when we look at the story of Pentecost, we get a picture of where we're going. We get a picture of what we're aiming for. We get a picture of what we're looking forward to. Think about it this way. Um, we love to celebrate Christmas and Easter, and that's really great, and we should celebrate them. They're really wonderful. But think about this. The point of both Christmas and Easter is to make it so that human beings would be able to live with God and that God would be able to live with human beings. That's the whole point. 
that human beings would be able to live with God and God would be, la- be able to live with, ho- with human beings. This is why the second person of the Trinity literally became a helpless baby named Jesus. And this is why Jesus grew up and this is why Jesus said the things he did and this is why Jesus died on the cross and why he rose again from the dead. The whole point was to make it so that people could be with God and God could be with people, that, uh, that the brokenness would become unbroken that we would be re-engineered to be compatible with God, that we would begin to be able to bear the fruit of God. The whole point is that we would be able to be with God. Well, Pentecost is the day where we say, here he is. You got him. Christmas and Easter are begging for us to live in the presence of God, and Pentecost is the day where we're told, you have him. He's with you. He's inside of you. He's between you, and he's not going anywhere. Pentecost says, God is here. He's working in you, and he's changing, changing you, and he's emboldening you, and he's disagreeing with you, and he's equipping you, and he's strengthening you, and he's turning us all into something that is so beautiful that he will demand that we live with him into eternity. God is here, Pentecost says. In my beginning is my end. So Pentecost is still happening. Pentecost is still in process. Uh, Today is Pentecost just as much as it was Pentecost 2,000 years ago. In fact, maybe it's even more Pentecost because the Holy Spirit of God is gaining momentum. The Holy Spirit of God is taking us somewhere. There's a direction. We started in a direction. We're continuing in that direction. And each day we get closer and closer to this vision of the end, this end that God has in mind, this goal that God has in mind. In my beginning is my end. So what is this end that God has in mind. What is this end? What is this goal that God is blowing us toward, that Pentecost is blowing us toward? What is this goal? Well, we can talk about it on a a couple of different levels. We could talk about it on a cosmic level, or we could talk about it on a more personal level. So like uh, on a cosmic level, Scripture tells us that heaven is coming down to earth. This is what we talked about last week. Heaven is coming down to earth. God is making all things new. And in the end, nature will be at peace within itself. And there will be no more injustice. And, and, And the tables of the world will no longer be slanted toward the wealthy. And all of the people groups here on earth will see each other and will respect each other and will care for one another. That's on a cosmic level. Then on a more personal level, each one of us will become exactly who God would have us be. Each one of us is becoming exactly who God would have us be. And the human heart will no longer be turned in on itself. 
You know what I mean? The human heart will no longer be turned in on itself. We will no longer have to be self-protective. We will no longer have the need for insecurities. We will no longer have the need for shame, the need for jealousy, the need for anxiety or for pride. The Holy Spirit is here and he's bringing us there. In the beginning is the end. Now let's read this Romans passage. Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. It'll also be projected on the screen for you. Is the Holy Spirit blowing over here? Is that what's happening? I'm sensing something over here. Uh, So this is Romans 8. This is one of the most beautiful texts in Scripture. That's my opinion, at least. And this is about... This is a text about how the Holy Spirit is bringing us from the beginning to the end, from where we are to where we're going, okay? Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the sons of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but, listen closely, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Or who hopes in what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to the will of God. Now, there are a couple of dozen things I could pick out of there and they would be each, choose your adventure, right? We could go a lot of different ways there, uh, but we can only really choose one. So I'm, gonna, I'm choosing one from verse 23, which says, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean, that we have the first fruits of the Spirit? Uh, In ancient Israel, um, when it was time for them to harvest their crops, they would celebrate a feast which was called the First Fruits, the Feast of the First Fruits. And when it was time to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits, what would happen is, if let's say you had a field of grain. You were, you were a farmer and you had a field of grain and it was uh, this time of year and it was time to, to harvest. What you would do is, you would spend exactly one day harvesting your field. Now, to be clear, 
it would take you weeks to harvest your field. But you would spend exactly one day harvesting your field and then you would stop and you would leave it. And after that one day of harvesting, you would take what you had harvested and you would have a feast with it. You would sit down with your friends and with your family and with your community and you would have an absolute feast. And this is what you would say. You would be saying, look, this is just a taste. This is just a teeny tiny little taste of all of the abundance that waits for us. There's more coming. There's more on the way. It's on its way. We can trust it. We can trust in God to give us what's going to come. But for now, we have just this tiny little sample of all of the wealth that is waiting for us. And Paul says in verse 23 that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. We have in us just a taste, just a sample, just a little bit of the infinite wealth, the infinite power that is ours, that is coming, so that even now, in the beginning, we can taste the end. That the Holy Spirit is already doing things in us and in our world that one day will be completely and fully realized. It's not complete. Not yet. It's not done. But it's coming. And, and, And we groan, we groan inwardly like Paul says. We groan and we wait. We wait for that harvest. We wait for things to come. We wait for the end. We wait for things to be realized. But for now, we have the first fruits. We have the deposit. We have day one of the harvest. And so Paul's point is, it is so important that you grab on to the first fruits. It is so important that you grab on to the things that God has already given you. You grab those first fruits and you embrace them and you believe them and you experience them and you taste them because in our beginning is our end. And so we come here every week and we feast on the first fruits. What other ways can we feast on the first fruits? How can we experience just a taste now of what we will one day feast in its entirety? Well, let's look at what they did in Acts chapter 2. One of the things I love about this story, that I love about the story of Pentecost, um, is that, so in, in some ways it's so sensational, right? Like these, these big, crazy things are happening. It's very sensational. But it's also, it's very sensational, but it's sensational with very ordinary things. Wind. Languages. We have wind. We have languages. On Pentecost Sunday, God did something crazy and weird and huge and miraculous with them. But we have wind. We have tongues. You have a tongue. You have a language. You have words to speak. 
It might not feel like the miracle of miracles when you speak. It might not feel like the miracle of miracles when you use your tongue. But your tongue is the first fruit of what is to come. And in your beginning is your end. So the way that you use your tongue today will set you off on a journey which will determine your end. As you use your tongue today, you are dictating the direction you will go, the type of feast you will feast. In your beginning is your end. With your tongue, you may not be able to whip up an entire city into a frenzy like the disciples did, but you sure can put a dent in the darkness. You can. Your tongue is a powerful thing. And one day your tongue will speak heavenly languages. One day your tongue will, will, will praise God in service to the world in ways that you never imagined before. But now, today, you have the first fruits of that promise. Use your tongue and use it well. Use the language that God has given you to speak. Use the language that Jesus gave you to speak. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Encourage your neighbor. Build them up. Maybe you're thinking this is just too easy, it's too simple. Exactly. Exactly. These are the first fruits. Encourage your neighbor. Build them up. Offer compassion to those who need compassion. Offer praise to those who need praise. Use your tongue. Use the language that God has given you to speak. And then there's the wind. We have wind. However, we don't control it, do we? At least not in the way that we get to control our tongue. We don't control the wind. So what do we do with that? <clears throat> I once heard a pastor who um, I deeply love and respect, Jack Rhoda. He was talking about how, how very often he gets people who come up to him uh, and will say things like, Say things like, you know, I just don't know about this Christianity thing. It's not working for me. I don't know if I can believe it. It's so old. It's so archaic. Have you heard what people in the church are saying? Have you seen what people in the church are doing? It feels anti-reason. It feels anti-science. I don't know if I can be a part of this. I don't know if I can be religious. And I'll also have people who say to him, you know, I've been a Christian forever. but I don't know where I fit anymore. I don't know, I don't know if this is for me anymore. Uh, uh, things are so different. The church is changing. The church is changing so radically. I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. I don't know how I fit. And Jack says that both of those questions are Pentecost questions. Both of those questions are Pentecost questions. For as different as those sentiments might be, they're both begging the same response. And he says the response is this. You need to raise your sails. You need to raise your sails. No, you do not control the wind. That's correct. 
You don't get to choose which direction it comes from and which direction it blows to. You don't get that. But you do have the power to raise your sails and to be impacted by the wind. Don't be stagnant. God is not stagnant. God is a moving God. God is a progressing God. It's time to raise your sails. Are you feeling stuck? It's time to raise your sails. It's time to think something new. It's time to do something new. It's time to practice something new. God is moving. Why aren't you? And all of us, at different times in our lives, we need to raise our sails because the Spirit of God is among us and He's between us and He's inside of us and He's changing us and He's emboldening us and He's arguing with us and He's equipping us and He's strengthening us and He's turning us into something so beautiful that He will demand that we enter eternity with Him. What are the first fruits in your life today? What are the seemingly ordinary things which you have that you will have so much more in eternity? It need not be miraculous, not yet, and it's not your job to make it miraculous. It might feel very, very ordinary today, but it's the start of something. Where in your beginning can you begin to see your end? Raise your sails. Pray with me. Spirit of God, descend upon our hearts. Show us the things that you have for us. Show us the love you've invested in us. Show us the ways that that love can flow through us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your crescendo. We thank you for your kingdom and its coming. We thank you for the feast to which you now invite us, for this participation in your coming kingdom. Bless each one of us, Spirit, with your movement. Bless this church with your momentum. And may your kingdom come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.